0: welcome to the Trinity radio podcast this podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter this means you might miss some visual aspects of the show but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect we'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe and if you enjoy this content do us a favor take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast if you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. Enjoy the show. The subject of human freedom is pretty important to the work I do in apologetics and in theology. It's not that the truth of Christianity depends on it, but I think that free will makes better sense of the nature of God, and with it, I think we have one more good reason to believe that God exists. To see why I think so, you can check out my debates with atheists and with other Christians on our YouTube channel. Yet critics are not silent on this issue, and among determinists who deny the sort of freedom that I affirm, libertarianism, there's one issue that they think shuts the door on this type of free will and shuts it pretty hard. In fact, many libertarians have dropped their defense of free will because of this one objection. And with it goes any chance that for any choice in their lives, they could have done otherwise. That's a high cost. Do they abandon the ship too early? The question before us is why any particular individual chooses to do one thing rather than another. It strongly seems that for any choice, whatever we decide to do, we decided to do it because it was the thing we most desired. But our desires are somewhat out of our control and are impacted by our past decisions, social experiences, upbringing, biology, and a chain of cause and effect that stretches back to the very beginning of our universe. For instance, let's say I'm on a diet and my wife brings home pizza for dinner. Now, in case of a situation like this, let's say I've bought a flavorless, low-calorie frozen dinner that I could have as a backup while the rest of the family eats pizza. What will I choose on this particular occasion? Well, I have influences in both directions. I'm influenced toward the pizza for obvious reasons, but I'm also influenced toward the frozen flavorless dinner because I want to look like the young Jason Statham that I know I can be. According to the determinist, whichever thing I choose is the thing that I most wanted. It's the one that most influenced me. And while it seems that I'd obviously want the pizza more, That might not be the case. It might be that I want the weight loss more than I want the instant gratification of shoving that pepperoni pizza down my gullet. It seems then that my choice is determined and ultimately out of my control. I'm going to choose whatever I want most and I don't get to want whatever I want. On the other hand, some who want to defend free will will point to quantum indeterminacy to show that at least at the level of certain particles, it seems that determinism breaks down. Perhaps quantum indeterminacy allows for the possibility of human freedom. But here's the trick. If our choices are indeterminate, then it wouldn't result in free will. Our choices would just be random. As Sam Harris says in his book on the subject. But few neuroscientists view the brain as a quantum computer. And even if it were, quantum indeterminacy does nothing to make the concept of free will scientifically intelligible. In the face of any real independence from prior events, every thought and action would seem to merit the statement, I don't know what came over me. In other words, if we introduce indeterminacy, Harris thinks you wouldn't even know why you did whatever it was you chose to do. Dan Barker agrees, saying it appears that randomness and uncertainty are built into the fabric of reality at that level. In any event, I don't think it matters if microdeterminism is true or false. Free will gains nothing from randomness. Barker echoed this idea in my debate with him from 2020. I and think your whole see. idea about quantum indeterminacy or uncertainty and all that actually makes the problem worse. Because what quantum indeterminacy does, and I just talk about it briefly in my book, what it does is it, induce, it introduces randomness. Randomness is mm-hmm. the opposite of control randomness is the opposite of free will it means that yeah i could have chosen a strawberry ice cream if that particular probabilistic neuron in a subatomic particle had fired in a randomly different way so your choices are either determined or random this leaves little hope for human freedom and youtube atheists have picked up this line of reasoning and run with it as a supposed dilemma. So, so let, me, let, me, let me start to ask you some questions here. So any decision you make, there are two options. Either you're making the decision for reasons, in which case it's determined by the reasons, or you're making it for no reason, in which case it's random. There's nothing you can add to this to get out of that dichotomy, which means every decision possible is either determined or random. What can you add to that to get free will? But is this a true dilemma? Must our choices either be fully determined or fully random? In the Oxford Handbook on Free Will, Robert Kane introduces what could be viewed as a defeater to the claim that free will is impossible for these reasons. He presents the notion that indeterminacy might be an ingredient in the choosing process, especially when individuals really struggle over what to do. For him, indeterminacy is an ingredient, but it's not the whole recipe. Typically, we think of quantum indeterminacy as having noticeable effects only at the micro level of small particles. But Kane argues that in moments of cognitive chaos, where individuals really struggle over what choice to make, that quantum indeterminacy can be amplified up to the macro level of our individual choices, breaking the determinism. He presents a helpful story to illustrate the idea in which he pictures a businesswoman on her way to a career-altering business meeting that she simply cannot afford to miss. When she passes an assault which is taking place, does she ignore the altercation so that she can get to her meeting on time? Or does she ignore her meeting so that she can help the victim in some way? Here, there are influences working on her in both directions to an extremely strong degree. This creates an indeterministic conflict in her thinking, which results in an indeterministic cognitive noise. This is the indeterministic ingredient in the choosing process. Yet pitted between two options for which she has strong reasons in either direction, her choice in the end will be undetermined, but it also won't be random. Because she had reasons in both directions, whichever she chooses, she'll be able to tell you why she chose what she did, what her reasons were. But at the same time, the choice will not have been determined. Harris would be wrong that she would say, I don't know what came over me. And this is great because her influences then become reasons why she chose a particular thing, but not causes in the sense the determinist means it. Of this possibility, Kane concludes... Indeed in these cases agents have what I call plural voluntary control over the options, over their options in the following sense. They are able to bring about whichever of the options they will, when they will to do so, for the reasons they will to do so, different reasons depending on the choice made, on purpose rather than accidentally or by mistake, without being coerced or compelled in doing so or in willing to do so or otherwise controlled by any other agents or mechanisms. So it seems we have a defeater to the claim that choices must either be fully determined or be fully random. But for Kane, these moments of libertarian freedom aren't happening just all the time. For him, sometimes your choices are fully determined. But even when they are, you're still responsible because you formed the character within yourself to make those determined choices during those character-forming moments when you did have libertarian freedom. For this reason, he calls those instances self-forming actions, or SFAs. And frankly, I'm not hostile to that idea. It retains responsibility. It provides libertarian freedom. It seems to work. But I have two further thoughts on this before we go. What has been presented here is an entirely naturalistic account of how libertarian freedom might be possible. But if it's true, it's so incredibly unnecessary on evolution and so incredibly complex that it would be among the greatest arguments for intelligent design that we have. That this is a naturalistic account of libertarian freedom doesn't seem to help the libertarian atheist all that much. Second, theists, especially substance dualists, who believe that we have a physical body and an immaterial soul, can go much further with the indeterminacy and our choices than I think that Keynes naturalistic indeterminacy allows. If libertarian freedom is principally possible, as this presentation seeks to show, then theists are well within their epistemic rights to suppose that God has built into man a more robust mechanism for the inclusion of indeterministic ingredients in many more of our choosing processes than Cain's occasional S.F.A.s. This may well be one of the benefits offered by the soul of man. But whether you're a theist or an atheist, Back to the larger issue at hand, Alfred Mele puts it excellently in his book Free, Why Science Hasn't Disproved Free Will. He says, so you ask, does free will exist? If you mean what I call modest free will, I say yes, without hesitation. If you mean what I call ambitious free will, I say the jury's still out. In fact, this point about the jury is the main moral of this book. Scientists most definitely have not proved that free will, even ambitious free will, is an illusion.